Hello, and welcome to What is Wrong with Hiring, the podcast where we talk about why hiring people and getting hired are somehow both absolute nightmares. I'm your host, Laura Klein, and please be advised that this podcast may contain drinking, swearing, and screaming into the abyss, so pretty much like most podcasts. My guest today is Lisa Dusso. She is the CTO and co-founder of Compass, and uh, Lisa and I are going to be talking about pay equity, which is a thing that she is extremely well-placed to tell us all about because of what Compass does. So can you tell me a little bit about what that is, just so I don't butcher it? (laughs) Hi, Laura. Uh, Yes, Compass is a compensation platform for companies to be strategic about how they pay people and how different parts of compensation are fitting together, pulling lots of context together to help HR and decision makers. So what you're saying is that when I try to hire somebody, I don't have to base how much I'm paying them on um, chicken entrails and guesswork. You're saying that there's actually software that can help me figure out the right amount to pay people uh, and that maybe more of us should be doing things like that. Yeah, it's a really arcane area. Many people don't know that their company has a head of total rewards in it or what their job is, but it is a, an entire person, if not three, and their job is complicated. A lot of things to know and jargon and all of its own stuff, as as probably isn't surprising once you think about it. It's it's actually really good to know that because I think that I, I would say that that is... Um, that is true and also somehow optimistic. Um, I know that at big companies, right, they have a whole team of people who are probably figuring all this stuff out and they have all sorts of software and surveys and stuff to figure this out. And a lot of smaller companies that I've met are a little kind of, we kind of pay people whatever we can get away with, Um, which is less good. I would, I would argue. Um, So, uh, but your, your software actually helps companies what what size companies do this? Like, what what are you focused on mostly? Enterprise customers, yeah. so a thousand employees for starters. Yeah, so the companies are actually starting to think about this and don't want things to be. Why why do why tell me why I should actually care about this? I mean, I know why I care about it, but why should, why should other people care about it? Well, there's the legal reasons, there's the uh, retention reasons, and then there's the less selfish, um, altruism reasons. Um, All right, let's talk about the legal reasons first, because I just want to make sure that everybody gets those, you know, in case they have to, you know, in case they skip out of the end of the podcast, let's talk about why it's illegal for you not to care about it. There are more and more regulations these days. In the U.S., these are often happening on a state-by-state basis with California's Fair Pay Act a few years ago. Um, And most recently, New York State came out with laws that require pay ranges in job postings, which I I hope we'll get into a little bit more because this is recent and affects people's hiring practices quite deeply. And the reason why these laws require companies to state their pay ranges on request or put them in the job postings, um, and the reason why this is being done in countries throughout the rest of the world also is because it encourages fairness in in pay. Uh, it puts people on an equal footing for find for finding out what's possible and reduces the impact of negotiating or prior pay on what somebody will get paid in their next job, and all that increases the equity across different types of people. 
Oh, yeah. No, I remember when it was like, you know, the, hey, so what did you make in your last job? And you had to tell them. And then if you happen to not negotiate your very first job out of college or wherever, you were you could be screwed for 30 years. Yep. <laughs> this, I'm glad glad that we're uh, we're we're addressing some of that because uh, that was that was unfair, let's say, to a. A large group of folks, um, and often folks who don't get rewarded for for negotiating up front. Um, talk to me a little bit about how those pay bans actually get set. You mentioned having having to actually put the pay bans into uh, into the job postings, which again, it's nice keeps keeps people from wasting their time. How how do those get set? I, I mean, I wasn't joking about it being kind of arcane and like it all seems like magic. Yeah. Well, um, as of the last few years, companies of all sizes start to access pay data. If they don't get it from one of the large vendors, they get benchmark industry, what are other companies pay data from their investors or from friends or from free online sites that will tell you what Google pays a particular level of employee or um, what other startups pay. So People are now getting. People are now routinely getting data to 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 support putting telling salary ranges to candidates and putting that into um, their job postings, which means that they're not relying as much on what the candidate asks for, which is already a great start. Even if the sources of data are not great, at least it's more fair. Yeah, no, that's interesting because it's there's the the sort of fairness across companies, and then there's the fairness within the companies, which we'll we'll talk about in a minute. Um, Right. It is interesting that you mentioned that even if the sources aren't great, um, I'm assuming there are some that are a lot better than others. Yeah. The best sources are, of course, you know, the pro companies that know exactly how to charge a lot for this and and have you come back to it over and over again. And they will advertise sometimes tens of thousands of jobs benchmarked. Um, that is probably overkill. I, I think that we're going to see... Um, some pullback from that because it's not very strategic to just look up your exact job title and say, oh, that's what we're paying, I guess. That's letting the market decide your entire pay strategy. Mm. I don't advise that. <laughs> I advise, <laughs> talk, you know, talk, about, talk about that. What is, why, why don't you advise that? I mean, I, I strongly advise not just paying whatever Google pays because, I mean, most companies would be out of business if they tried that. <laughs> right. Um, it's a very common approach to um, set a target, se 75th percentile of what the market pays for your size company, mm -hmm. which if you're not, the size of Google is already a lot less than what Google pays, but you're still not being very strategic, making a decision purely on that basis, because now everybody in your, in your company, whether they're in a key function or not a key function is getting paid at least their target will be 75th percentile of what the market pays. In some companies, high quality marketing is super important. Maybe you should have the best marketing people and have different levels or different pay ranges for marketing. Um, and in some companies, your R&D is the most important and will and is where you need the, the highest quality people and to be really competitive in recruiting. I mean, this is absolutely the point where I where I try to push and say that, well, obviously design is the most important thing. So that should be 110%. But the other ones, you know, less so. So totally on board, except for design, which should be more. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to agree with me on that. I know that you're a CTO. <laughs> well, I was with being able to pay people 110th percentile, but that's just, you know, technical yeah. quibbles. 
I mean, is that because they're just not trying, Lisa? I mean, <laughs> possibly, possibly. Yeah, you know, just just throwing it out there. All right, um, talk, let's talk a little bit about because there's there's something else that's sort of interesting here is that like you know we don't pay all engineers or all designers or whatever the the same amount of money. There's some leveling there that goes on, and often that leveling goes on. You know, when you're, it's so funny because a lot of times, it, you know, they'll say, well, what level do you want to hire this new designer at? And every once in a while, it's sort of like, oh, actually, I'd like to hire somebody really, you know, like I'd love to hire an intern, right? Sometimes it's that. Other times it's more sort of like, I would like the best possible designer that I can get for what we can afford. <laughs> because why wouldn't I? But that's not true across the board. What, how do right. you level people like that? And sometimes it doesn't help to be too picky when you're hiring for an exact expertise and an exact level at the same time. Sometimes you can mix across your team and have a, a level of past, ex- a mix of past, a mix of levels and a mix of past experiences. And you can have somebody super experienced and they understand, you know, client design and somebody who's um, not so experienced, but they're really strong in information design or vice versa. And it'll, you'll have a, you'll have a rich team for having all that stuff. But how do you retain that flexibility in a world where you have to put pay ranges into salary, into, into job postings, if your yeah, HR that, department has decided to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. Because sometimes, you know, I'm hiring for something. I'm like, well, you know, I could get somebody who's, I mean, I could take somebody who was more senior here. That's often true with, um, I mean, I shouldn't say this. Like for engineering, like you don't want a whole bunch of just engineering architects, like they'll never get anything built. And you also don't want to, you know, necessarily just a whole bunch of people fresh out of school because they'll get something built, but yeah. (laughs) So, uh, but how, how do you deal with that in this world where now we have to like tell people and this job pays $200,000 a year or whatever? Right. Well, first of all, start by communicating about this with your HR department. When they ask you uh, for a simple answer, don't necessarily just give them the simple answer, but talk about how could we hire? What's my minimum level I would hire at? What's my maximum level I would hire at if it was really the right person? And ask your HR department if they have a, an approach to this. One approach might be to put multiple ranges into the job posting. That's a little risky because it might lead everybody who applies to to believe that they're best suited for the top paid one. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Another one is to put up literally multiple postings, put up junior designer, put up senior designer and put up different ranges on them. Um, Another option is to indicate what level that this job posting is designed for, but say other levels may pay more, may Mm. pay different ranges. Um, And we may consider people of other, other levels. That's, that is an, I kind of like that one because you're not surprising anybody then by, you know, leveling them up or down, but you're kind of leaving it open to say like, you know, if we find somebody who meets this job description, this is the salary, Yeah. but like we need to assess pretty quickly, you know, are you at that level or should we have the conversation about, "Mm, we actually don't think you're at that level. You might be a level down or wow, we think you're actually a level up and in order to get you, we would like to pay you more. I've actually done that. I've leveled people up during portfolio reviews. <laughs> like, oh, okay, you're a, uh, you're, wow. Yeah. You're not mid-level, are you? Okay, great. I still want to hire you. Yes. And, and that's exactly one of the things you should be doing, especially if you think you're going to want to close a candidate, then your interview focus shifts not only to 
hey, we want to convince you to come work for us, but also let's really get into the nitty and gritty of what level you are at and whether you're taking on lead responsibilities if you join us or just want to be left alone because that matters for what pay range we put you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So the negotiation stops being so much about like, you know, guess the number, guess the smallest number that I can pay to, to get you and becomes more about, no, let's figure out where you actually fit in the company. Which I love. Um, I hated negotiation stuff when it was about first person to name a number loses or yes, try to mind read what they were thinking of and, and try to name something high in their range, but not impossible and not piss them off. That is, that is silly games that I do not want to play anymore. <laughs> yes, um, my, my, my salary demands are a million dollars a year or best offer. <laughs> right. And I don't want to play those games as a candidate or as a hiring manager. No, I, I, yeah. And I, it's, those games are frustrating even on the other end. I, I've been a hiring manager and had people request lower than the band. And I just want to shake them and say, no, stop it. Don't give me that option. <laughs> right. Well, when you are the hiring manager, tell them we won't be paying you that low. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I always did. I just always yeah. worry. I always worry. Not every, not everybody is, you know, it's the company's luck. It's the company's money. <laughs> but, one important thing to note is that psychologically people ratchet upward and not downward. Mm. So if you post a junior role and then tell people, actually, you're better than junior, you're mid-career or you're senior um, and we'll treat you accordingly, they're super happy. If they're applying for a role and it says junior or senior, they think they're senior and you say, actually, you're on the junior side and we'd be paying you appropriate to that. People don't like to hear that. No, I wouldn't want to hear it. I mean, psychologically, that's just that that's not great. Um, Similarly with ranges, if you publish your entire range, people are going to get fixated in the mid to high part of that range. (laughs) There's no law that says you have to put your entire range that you pay existing employees into the job posting. You can put the lower half of the range you put you pay existing employees as the range you pay new hires. That's fascinating. I hadn't thought about that. You can obviously you can't post just the higher range. That feels like that would be super illegal. You can. You can post whatever range you like as long as you're consistent at hiring people into that range. But if you post <sighs> the higher end of your actual band, then your mm-hmm. existing designer who's paid in the low end of that band is going to be sad when they see that job posting. I mean, I sad is the best possible outcome for that. I would be knocking on your door with a pitchfork and a torch. <laughs> so, uh, okay, no, that's interesting. So it's it, it's not, the, the rule is that you, whatever you post, you have to hire within that range um, unless you up-level the person or down-level them if you've got something in there that's acceptable. Yeah, there's probably other legal dodges too, but this is all I feel within the moral high ground of trying to do right by people and make them all happy, your existing employees, as well as new hires. Yeah, no, to be clear, I wasn't looking for like, so legally, what exactly can I get away with? (laughs) Although, you know, it's always kind of nice to know, just just in case. Um, Talk to me a little bit though about, because you mentioned this a couple of times and I, I think it's an interesting thing to bring up. Talk to me a little bit about what it means when you're talking about your existing team, because Hiring folks, especially in 
you know, the market the way it's been in the last, I don't know, year, um, hiring folks has an impact on your existing team too with salaries. Yes. And having a decent compensation strategy matters for your existing team so, so much. When we talked about the legal reasons for doing this and having a good effort towards it, um, I think that's dwarfed by the retention reasons. If you're just talking about reasons that the company's stakeholders, you know, immoral stakeholders will understand. Hey. Uh, <laughs> retention is still a huge one. The cost to replace somebody who leaves before you want them to leave is enormous. It almost always dwarfs the difference in pay that you could have made up. Yeah. You no, know, every time I'm, I'm advocating for a bigger raise for somebody, I just call them a flight risk. And they're only a flight risk, let me, let me point out, because I will tell them to flight if they don't get the raise. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, they should be making this much money. And if they're not, then they should absolutely leave. And I will tell them that. Um, but but uh, if the company has a process for raising their pay range when they want to raise what they offer new employees and raising people's salaries when their pay rate range also goes up and bringing people up within their pay range when they you know, have a good review and they're doing a bunch of raises for the company, then people don't have to play those games of calling themselves or, you know, hinting at being a flight risk or having a manager like you who will just, <laughs> who will just, just say that you're that, a flight risk. Just say that. <laughs> just who will just say, I mean, in fairness, they should be. <laughs> so I'm not lying. I'm just yep. encouraging them to recognize their value. A prediction know? backed up by actions you can take. There you go. I love it. Um, how, so I think the thing that makes me a little nervous, I'll be honest, is when we do, and I, I've kind of seen this, when we do talk about like moving people up or down in levels, especially when we're just assessing them um, to, you know, as, as new hires and trying to like figure out how, where do they sit amongst, you know, the other hundred designers or thousand engineers or whatever it is. Like it's, that's, that's hard, right? Like, and mm -hmm. if I can just level them up or down, how how do I do that more fairly? It's a lot of work to do fairly, to do fairly and properly and thoroughly. <laughs> so <laughs> generally, a rubric is the name for a whole set of descriptions of different skills and responsibilities across a number of different job types that describe what level to put somebody at. Uh, since I'm most familiar with engineering rubrics, and because you can get these, you can you can find these in odd corners of the internet where companies have posted their engineering job rubrics. Engineers are crazy. They'll post anything. They'll open source anything. They, they also like quantifying things very engineers, much. <laughs> engineers like quantifying and having processes and rules for this crazy, fuzzy human stuff. But it, it it's not overboard in this case. It's a really good idea. And often the rest of the company can benefit from taking advantage of this work or following this example if the engineering team is leading the way. Um, so the rubric has things like a general job family. It's not going to have big differences between a Python engineer and a Java engineer or a, on a UX designer versus a graphic designer, but it will have within a big family like engineering or design um, differences in responsibility and scope. So a junior engineer's Responsibility and scope are described as things like um, needs to take time to learn new things in the course of their job, 
needs guidance from a manager on how to execute some tasks, but not all tasks. Uh, can execute, um, can can implement new functions without guidance. Um, needs help in implementing new architectural components. Mm-hmm. Um, works within their own team and with design. Um, whereas you start to get into senior or lead engineering stuff, your scope and responsibility all shift towards can lead other people, can invent new architecture, can guide other engineers, can implement entire new sections of the architecture, not only without guidance, but guiding other people. Works across the company, works with teams in marketing on uh, timing and strategy, works with teams in ops on how the new architecture is going to be deployed and, and, or at the highest levels, you know, works with the board, works with the C-suite. It's, it's funny because on all the like technical roles, and I kind of consider design and engineering to be sort of technical in their own ways. I always laugh that like at the, at the very beginning, it's like less about the, you know, being really great technically you know, more about sort of your ability to learn. And then it's like that mid-level and that upper level is like really, like really good technically, like just really good technical skills. And then as you get even higher up, much less about that again. (laughs) Because way more about the people all over again. It's like, oh God, so hard when you're like, no, but I just really want to be very good technically. And I don't want to do, I never want to make a PowerPoint deck. Although note that I didn't say anything about people management in the responsibility. Um, I personally think it's important and I'll put a plug in here for having high level engineering individual contributor roles that don't require people who are going to be bad managers to have to be bad managers to be considered a a leader in their company. I 100% I could not agree with you more on that and um, figuring out like one of these days I need to do a podcast with folks about how to assess for actual like managerial ability versus craft or technical skill Um, because I I often think that we we do assessments like that entirely wrong um, and we don't end up with people who are great managers even if we have you know a whole management track Um, that's a different podcast though (laughs) <laughs> but definitely agree that you should have separate rubrics for them. That's, that is an excellent point. Yeah. Um, what, like having a good rubric, what's that, what's that going to do for a company? Like why, why does that help? Well, it helps in pay equity. Sure. <laughs> uh, oh. of, yes. I, there's a bunch of things I didn't mention in it. Like um, skills, communication skills can be part of your rubric. Collaboration skills can be part of your rubric. Um, professionalism and certainly in the lower levels, but you know, also in the higher levels, it'd be good if your VPs are professional, can behave professionally also, to be honest. (laughs) It it limits my upward mobility, but no, I get it. Yeah. Uh Sure. It would be nice. Yep. (laughs) And having, having that written down also, again, it changes this whole negotiation stuff from, I want a raise. Well, you're not getting a raise. Or, okay, I guess I can get you a raise. How much do you need? It changes it all from that to, um, am I ready to be promoted? Do you, mm-hmm. th- my manager think I'm ready to be promoted? What parts of this rubric do you think I need work on? It can get a little transactional even so, but it's still a an improvement over just the arbitrary, give somebody a raise when they start to make noise. 
Yeah, whoever asked for it. Or um, I, I would imagine that it also helps you at least a little bit assess those folks who are coming in when you're when you're doing the hiring that you're putting them as much as you can assess people that you haven't worked with on that rubric. You at least have some general guideline of where they fit in the organization. Um, so it's not just whatever they ask for. From the company's perspective, done well, this can help the company do even better at budgeting and forecasting and stuff because you know now know um, what your promotion rate is, or you can you can learn that through your analytics, and you can figure out how many people are likely to be promoted and what ranges they're likely going to have to be paid according to, and estimate raises on something much better than just oh, what if we gave everybody five percent on average. Yeah. Well, and 5% on average is, I mean, would be great in some years and in other years will absolutely lose you all of the people that are working for you because they could go someplace else and get 20%. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't want to give everybody 5%, um, not just based on performance, but also based on who's already high in their range or who's low in their range. Yeah. Making sure that the folks who are doing the same job are making roughly the same amount of money. Um, we haven't really talked about location-based. Oh yeah, plans. what do you what do you think about that? Because I have strong opinions that I think are not widely shared, and that goes right back to this um, problem of having the salary, the pay ranges in job postings, making that extra tricky. Yeah. So, your HR department might already have a preference. If they don't probably you want to pressure them to put something in there that talks about location. If it says remote okay, then, or hiring for a remote position by default, um, then you probably want to say with your pay range along with the, with, the, with the job, not just that this is going to be a UI designer, not just that they're going to be a senior UI designer and the range is appropriate to the senior level of candidate, but also that it's appropriate to uh, the baseline of remote work throughout the U.S., for example, assuming you're posting jobs in the U.S. Because then if uh, people come in and they say, but I work in San Francisco or but I live in San Francisco, you can say, well, that's OK. We have a pay range adjustment for San Francisco. Uh, your com- if your company um, hires at all in San Francisco, as well as the rest of the country, you probably do have an adjustment for San Francisco. <laughs> it's just more common these days. It's funny because I'm. Of course, in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I'm fully remote. My joke, my, it's not even a joke that my saying is always that like, look, I might as well be a hologram. You're never going to see my feet. Um, Like I don't, I don't go into offices. I am fully remote. I could be anywhere, but I do benefit from being, from happening to be, you know, N miles away from San Francisco, which feels weird if I'm doing the same job as somebody else. Do you have opinions on that? Or are we seeing any changes now with <laughs> have it, opinions, like, Laura? Do you have opinions, Lisa? I have opinions, Laura. Do you? Could you share yeah. those with us? I want right. to know. Um, I'm glad that pay ranges are compressing across the country, that the lowest of the low ranges are, are, are coming up and up and closer to the, the highest of the high ranges. Even as ranges are going up everywhere, the lowest ones are coming up faster. I'm happy about that because I want people to be paid well wherever they are and do well. And I am sure when I look at how executives are paid that we could almost all afford to pay our regular workforce more. Hmm. Um, 
That said, I think it is fair. Fairness is difficult to quantify. So I'll say it is fair, depending on your definition of fair, to pay people who spend less on housing and living a lower salary than people who have to pay more for housing and living. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess when you're fully remote, though, like it's maybe I don't know, maybe they should just be biased against people like me who've chosen to live in a stupid place. Um. (laughs) If there really is no benefit to the company of you living close to San Francisco, then eventually I do think this will gradually like wash out and, and the ranges will become even tighter. But I'm not so sure there isn't some benefit, not just from the company having you near San Francisco now, because it's easier for you to come to important meetings or um, have a critical lunch date with somebody that is having trouble working with you and you want to get through that, or uh, being in the same time zone and being available, or having connections in the Bay Area, having your past jobs be in the Bay Area, having um, a really dense professional network that you that that helps you as an employee. I think all of that stuff can sometimes count. That's an interesting point. That I thought. The time zone thing I've definitely thought a lot about having um, literally direct reports in, I think, six different time zones, um, some of which are actually mutually incompatible. I cannot have calls with people in Tokyo and London at the same time <laughs> just doesn't doesn't work no I'm not getting up at 2 a.m um but uh I know I'm a better engineer for being able to go to Pi Bay easily for mm-hmm. being able to go to Peninsula easily these mm-hmm. Python use interest group I thought those were Pi based things and I'm a better was, engineer for having yeah. met you in karate class <laughs> oh yeah we should uh, we should say that the, the way that we got to know each other was actually by just hitting each other weekly yeah yeah yeah, best way to form a connection. I mean, a certain kind of connection. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and being in the Bay Area for as long as I have, on the one hand, I've had to pay more to live here than if I'd stayed where in Canada. But um, I the connections I've formed and the network I have and the people I can call on, I can be hanging out with somebody on the weekend and say, Earl, can you tell me something about this kind of statistical analysis? And Earl's a real person, and he'll tell me really good stuff. That's that's a that's a great point. That that actually makes me feel a little bit better about paying people in certain areas a, a little differently, you know, and thinking about pay bands in that way. Because I, it's true, I do have a, I, I've got a real big tech ne- network, and I mean, some of that is being a thousand years old, and some of that is being a thousand years old in Silicon Valley. Yeah, uh, which it does, it it absolutely helps. Um. No, oh, that's that's an interesting way of thinking about pay bands. So you may have actually changed my opinion, which I mean happens rarely. So you know, gloat. This is this is your time. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. Do you have an opinion about what the hardest thing about hiring or getting hired is? I'm sort of springing this on you out of nowhere, but I like to ask people like, what's what what makes this so hard? Well. In the end, I think maybe it's because I'm an engineer and I think that technical problems are tractable. I don't think the hard part is anything technical that you can apply analysis and data management and visualizations to. I think the hard stuff is figuring out fit and fairly, um, finding out 
if somebody is going to excel in their role, when you've talked to them for, you know, your entire company has talked to them for a total of five hours. Yeah. I try to do better than this by intensely checking people's references and it's still not enough to figure that out. And I try to revert every kind of bias I might have when doing it because figuring out fit, we can look for people who are like us and that doesn't make it easier. It only makes it harder. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. And um, it's not but, good. Like that's, I don't want other, God knows I don't want other people like me. <laughs> well, I would say fit is the hardest. And then when it's, when the fit is not working and you're giving somebody every chance at the training they need and the accommodations they need and the time to get up to speed and the fit is still really not there. The fit for the person for the job or the job for the person, um, how to move on from that successfully. Sometimes yeah. sometimes it becomes adversarial because you it, it can be hard for everybody to agree when there's not a, not a fit solution. But yeah. sometimes you can do it gracefully. It's just super, super hard. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that is, if not the hardest thing, certainly one of the hardest things about, about hiring is just making sure that it's the right person and the right job and that we all are going to be happy moving forward together and make it work. Yeah, but I try to tell people a lot about the job when I interview them. Yeah. Even demo a little bit. Here's what you'd be doing. You'd be doing this kind of thing and uploading this kind of data to this kind of site and cleaning up this kind of mess. Um, <laughs> I was recently hiring for a data engineer position, which is why I talk about cleaning up messes. There, there you go. Oh, good. Yeah, so Did you know that, Laura? What? Yeah, no, that all makes a lot of sense now that you tell me what you were just hiring for. Um, no. Well, thank you, Lisa. That was, um, that's, that's super helpful. And that, that is actually all the time that we have for today. Um, I, I want to thank Lisa again for joining us. I also want to thank all of you out there for listening and, and wish you all the best of luck with your own search, whether it's for a new job or a new employee. I'm rooting for you. <laughs>